is equally important is that you also want to make it a super compelling and rewarding place for employees. You want them to be able to learn and grow and, uh, and grow in their careers. So it's an awesome responsibility, not just the business itself, but the people within it. And you really feel the weight of that on your shoulders. And I think until you become a CEO, you really don't realize what that weight feels like. Welcome to ProCo 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This show is for people who love Colorado and who are fascinated with stories of Colorado companies and their leaders. Success looks different here. Our lives are multidimensional, and that's why the tagline for the show is Live, Work, Love Colorado. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Sam Gilliland, CEO of Sharewell Software, an international IT service management company based in Colorado Springs and growing in Denver and around the world. This fast-growing company has revenues approaching $100 million and has had over $200 million invested in it. We'll talk about Sam's business and we'll talk about Sam's career coming up through companies like Travelocity, where as chief marketing officer, he introduced us to that gnome character we see in the ads. We'll also discuss technology-assisted versus human-delivered service, transitioning to the role of CEO, and much more. So, Sam, with that intro, thanks for being on ProCo 360. Very pleased to be here with you, Dave. Yeah, I think it's probably easiest to start with your sense, your take on Sherwell Software, what you're about. Oh, okay. Well, great. Um, well, as you think about businesses today, they're very dependent on technology, on data, on processes, and most importantly, on people. Um, but as businesses grow, develop, mature, um, they get technology sprawl, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, lots of different technology systems, data sprawl, so data all over the place within an organization, uh, and processes that can become unwieldy, um, maybe manual, maybe automated, but maybe unwieldy or broken. And our software is all about fixing those issues, stitching together those systems, integrating those systems, integrating, pulling together that data from a lot of different places and automating workflow mm. so that employees who can be really frustrated with all those different systems yeah, yeah. and places yeah. where they have to go get data, um, employees can work more efficiently. Mm. They can have a better experience altogether. Uh, so that's what we do. And we started by focusing on the IT uh, organization. So really automating everything that an IT organization does within a company and for employees within a company. But we've since expanded out into other areas like human resources. Um, so the example I'd give here in the Colorado area, a Denver-based company that uses our technology told me a couple months ago that when they onboarded employees, it used to take them two weeks to get them onboarded. Mm. From now, all the IT systems. From yeah. all the various systems, mm -hmm. you know, you have to you have to give them access to IT. You have to give them get them their laptop, get an image right, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. give them access to facilities, get their get them badged, all those things that you have to get through when you onboard as an employee. And they took that from two weeks using our software to four hours. Wow. So it's a it's a much more efficient process, but it's a much better mm. experience for the employees themselves. So you're really interweaving yourself into all of the IT related systems or IT enabled systems of a company. Yeah. And so what's intriguing to me is that Sharewell gets four and a half stars as a review from its customers. And one review headline said, Sharewell just works and I love to tell others about it. You know, with all the complexity with what you do, it seems almost impossible for customers to universally like you. 
<laughs> I mean, that's that's what takes. Well, yeah. I, I think it's because we just we make it easy. And as you think about CIOs within companies, historically they were tasked with managing the IT operations. Mm-hmm. Today they're tasked with business outcomes. Mm. And as you think about where they sit in that whole mix, it used to be that they'd focus on the IT organization. Now they're saying, hey, you need to automate workflows across. Yeah. IT across HR across our operations, mm-hmm. and if they're if they're tasked with those business outcomes, and we make it easy, and we yeah, allow them yeah. to get implemented quickly, which not many technologies mm-hmm. that you bring in, you bring in an SAP, you're going to oh, spend my, a year getting it implemented. Yeah, they'll tell um, you it's an easy process, and yeah, then, yeah. So really, you've taken the IT function out of a silo into an integrated flow within a company. That's right. Yeah, and, it's, yeah, yeah. and it's what's called today enterprise service management, mm-hmm. and so that's an expansion of what the business that that has been our core, which is IT service management. Yeah. All right. So that's a good background of the business. Let's talk about where you've come from. Yeah. So you've come from Sabre, but the company most of us know is Travelocity. Right. Um, and you were a marketing guy, but did you consider yourself in the travel business or back then did you consider yourself in the technology business? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, Dave, as I think about that question, we were really bringing technology and travel together to mm-hmm. deliver right. experiences to consumers um, and hopefully the experience of a lifetime if, if, we did, if we did a really good job. And you mentioned the competitive part. You had to do that at a very, very competitive price. And we were judged every day, every minute by yeah. the prices that we offered up. Well, it seems that, I mean, when, what year were you at Travelocity? Uh, that would have been uh, 2001, 2002, yeah, 2003. So it's weird. Then we all thought this was high tech, really interesting. I mean, you look back at that now, the technology must have been so crude compared to what you see now. Well, it, it's rough. And of course, um, you you know, over periods of time, you obviously have to remediate and refactor and build on new technologies. And it's gotten mm-hmm. better and better and yeah, better. yeah. And the competition moved from being just a really good site to are you doing all the right things from a search engine marketing, search engine optimization perspective, lots of systems and technology that you're applying to that Mm -hmm. to make sure that when somebody searches on Google, you're showing up. You need to be, you know, you need to be the top five, six. Well, that's if you're not, you probably are gone. Yeah, you're not in business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's sort of the the customer facing getting them there part. One of my favorite books recently is a book called The Marketing Rebellion by Mark Schaefer. And his tagline is, the most human company wins. What do you think about that notion? Particularly, I mean, is whether you're thinking about Sharewell, you're thinking about back at Travelocity, you know, we're doing all we can to get technology to drive marketing, to drive impressions. So, and yet, right. does the human most human company win? Well, I, I I believe so, just simply because the service aspect of what you do for an individual when they get into trouble is super important. So at Travelocity, the roaming gnome was really all about you never roam alone. Hmm. So if hmm. you are out traveling, you have a travel disruption, your flight cancels, our view was that if you called us to work through that reservation and getting on a new flight, that it'd be easier working with us than calling the airline themselves. So that's one aspect of it. As you think about Sharewell, we really do focus on providing support to our customers. When they get, you know, they can they can get themselves into tight spots sometimes, yeah. or their systems may be getting in their the, their own systems may be getting in the way of how they actually use our software. We have to help them through those types of things sometimes. Well, it seems now that one of the most confounding aspects of service is that companies are trying more and more to to automate it and to use technology to deliver service. 
and it's just not usually there. Yeah, well, and I think you absolutely have to have the human touch in terms of your support mechanisms. So when people call in, you have to have people that can help. On the other hand, we have an emerging Gen Y, Gen X, millennials that are used to using technology. You know what? They don't want to talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. And so they they will often say, as I'm out visiting with customers, they'll say, really wish you'd automate this mm. so I can push a button as opposed wow. to call somebody. So mm. um, we're, we're doing both things. We want to provide good human support. Yep. We also want to provide great technology. I want to remind listeners that this is ProCo 360's Pro Business Colorado. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Sam Gilliland, of ShareWell Software. And this is a great time to thank our sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, MicroStar Keg Logistics, and Kinsley Meetings. These great service companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Thanks also to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco360. So let's talk some more about marketing and and being the guy. Well, tell the story about this, the gnome at Travelocity, and then we'll shift gears and bring that concept back to Sharewell as well. But how did that gnome come about? We all know about it. Well, at the time, and this was the early 2000s, um, I was both CEO and CMO because we didn't have Mm. the CMO position filled. And we needed, we really needed to break out in terms of our advertising. And we needed to be super consistent with our messaging. We hadn't been historically. And so we, we worked with our advertising agency and we looked at three or four different concepts. The roaming gnome was one of them. And it came about, um, I think, Really, it was popularized the notion of a gnome that would that would leave a garden and mm-hmm. maybe be stolen from a garden, mm-hmm. taken around the world to various destinations with, and get pictures taken of it. That was popular popularized by the movie called Amelie, and so they had suggested as one of our options maybe you should do this roaming gnome. They also emphasized that a roaming gnome can really never get into trouble like a spokesperson can. So, <laughs> so while William Shatner was a great, he was a fantastic spokesperson for Priceline, yeah. and we liked that model. They were leery about putting a spokesperson in place because they can get into trouble. You know, Tiger Woods, whatever that was, ten years yeah, ago, got yeah. himself into trouble. Right, and uh, I think a lot of the folks that used him for their advertising were taken aback by it, and in some cases ended their relationship. Yeah. You control what a gnome says. Um, uh-huh. You can't control what a person says or does. And I thought about that. So it was, it was an interesting idea. Now, I took those three or four ideas to the board at the time and says, said we'd, you know, we'd conducted focus groups. Hmm. The roaming gnome has won, and uh, this is where we're headed. And the board at the time, um, who's made up of very experienced, seasoned, um, you know, uh, professionals, um, great perspective, provide a lot of insight, um, said, Sam, can we vote on this? Uh, they didn't really like the roaming gnome idea much. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, um, unfortunately, you're not in our demographic. And in fact, I don't imagine wow. any of you have actually used Travelocity. Wow. Um, and so, no, you don't get to vote. <laughs> and um, I thought I was going to be fired, actually, ah. after after that. They weren't very happy with me. But the Roaming Gnome, as you know, has now lasted probably 16, 17, yeah, 18 years. Yeah, so. You know, what a, great, what a great point, though, that so often decisions are made by people who aren't in the, de- in the demographic who it's speaking to. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. So we, um, it, huh. it's been a super successful um, campaign. Um, and when you talk about consistency— it's been used over that 
16, 17, 18 years very consistently, mm. and, and, and it's a well-known, well-known icon now. So that's a B2C marketing yep. tool mm-hmm. that's worked out really well and, mm-hmm. and, rare, and really probably stood the test of time much better than most campaign notions, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. So now that you're at ShareWell, though, you're, you're B2B. Right. Not B2C. That's correct. Are you taking any any gnome lessons to share well? Well, I think the consistency of message part is super mm. important. Mm-hmm. So we we um and we're working that um very diligently uh to make sure that the messaging that we're delivering to prospective customers has that consistency. So um what are we telling them? How are we describing what we do? How are we describing our value to them? Let's be super consistent about it. I think a lot of the tools we use are very much the same. So search engine optimization, search engine marketing, social marketing, um, social media, um, super important to what we're doing at Sharewell as well. So while it is a it is B2B as opposed to B2C, yeah. you can apply a lot of the same principles and you do have to be super disciplined about messaging and making sure that message is consistent over a long period of time. Although you're selling to a much narrower audience, aren't you with Sharewell? We are. Um, uh, we're selling in in particular into the IT organizations. Yeah, like increasingly, the CIOs. yeah increasingly into you know, an HR organization uh, as well, or other parts of the organization that need automation. But it really is, IT is really where we typically land mm-hmm. and where we believe that we can help that CIO get to the business outcomes that he or she have, have been tasked with. Are you finding, maybe you're past this, but I would, I would think at the beginning of ShareWell, and you weren't, you're new as CEO. Yeah, so nine maybe, months. But you may, not, you may not know this, but I would think at the beginning, you know, knocking on a CIO's door saying, we're going to automate your world probably didn't go over very well. Well, I or think, did it? I think um, there's, you know, we, we have, we have kind of the push and the pull. So I think as more and more CIOs become aware of what we do and the fact mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. this very strong, um, what I'd call time to value, meaning you can implement it very quickly. You can get up and running. You can start seeing results very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then from there, if you decide you want to customize it further, you can do just about anything with this platform that you'd like. Yeah. Um, you can automate really anything within the company. But you start there. Mm-hmm. You start and you land with the IT organization typically. And they have a lot of influence. In fact, they've been the most successful in delivering outcomes across mm-hmm. an organization Whereas HR is an example, yeah. if we land there, you may have a harder time expanding into other parts of the organization. I, I, I think that's been my experience too in business that mm-hmm. that um, things, especially now, things that are IT driven, everybody knows it affects their lives. And I think they're more open to to that, um, especially if a CIO is, is embracing it. Yeah. Uh, are you... By the way, have you ever led a small business, a startup company or anything? I've led a startup within a larger company. So uh, when I was at Sabre um, growing up through the, through the ranks there, uh, we started up a, a business within the company. Um, I had as my venture capitalist was the CEO of the company, mm. and he mm. felt very strongly that we needed to, to build and grow that business. And so we started um, – we actually – Started that business. We were we located outside the offices. Oh, really? So it was um, a real separate apartment, company. In an apartment, and and mm. it was a separate company, separate business. We located elsewhere. We really felt like we needed to innovate differently than maybe the mm-hmm. core business had been. Yeah. And uh, so that was really an experience because it was a struggle, you know, with with any new business. And it's nice to be within the confines of a larger company. Obviously, you yeah. have some security in that. 
But with any business, it's slow going to begin with. And mm-hmm. if you think about B2B, B2B businesses take, what, seven to 10 years to really get to a critical mass. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're struggling there the first couple of oh, years. I think uh, I, I owned a multimedia production company that I started, and it took five years before I got a call out of the blue from someone I hadn't known. It's a tough slog yeah, at first. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, hey, I want to play a clip. I want to talk more about being CEO because now you you're CEO of, you've been CEO of really large enterprises. You're mm-hmm. CEO now of Sharewell, which is still a, a big company, over 500 employees, right? And uh, approaching 100 million in revenue. You've had uh, I mentioned in the intro over 200 million invested for mm-hmm. your growth. So I want to play a clip. This is from Ben Horowitz's book called "The Hard Thing About Hard Things." Even if you know what you're doing, things go wrong. Things go wrong because building a multifaceted human organization to compete and win in a dynamic, highly competitive market turns out to be really hard. If CEOs were graded on a curve, the mean on the test would be 22 out of 100. This kind of mean can be psychologically challenging for a straight-A student. It is particularly challenging because nobody tells you that the mean is 22. (laughs) <laughs> so, so you know, it's hard to be CEO. It's hard to be CEO of a big company. When you got your first experience as CEO uh, back at Travelocity, mm-hmm. what did you think coming into that? Well, um, certainly you take on the role with some trepidation. At that point in time, we had a lot of work to do to improve that business. Um, and I guess the first thing I'd say is it's an awesome responsibility. And Did I think, you feel that coming in? Oh, absolutely. Like what was your uh, self-talk? Oh, well, man, we got to get this business rolling, you know, and, 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 you know, you feel like, Hey, we're going to change the world here. And it's super exciting and it is, but, and it's awesome responsibility, but that awesome responsibility comes with the fact that the su- success or the failure of the company really ultimately lies with the CEO. And so while you're, you're building a team of people that are of great talent, at the end of the day, it's pinned on you. If it's successful or failure, it's on you. Yeah. And that's a, that is an awesome responsibility. The second part of it, I think, that is equally important is that you also want to make it a super compelling and rewarding place for employees. You want them to be able to learn and grow and, uh, and grow in their careers. So it's an awesome responsibility, not just the business itself, but the people within it. And you really feel the weight of that on your yeah. shoulders. And I think until you become a CEO, yeah. you really don't realize mm. what that weight feels like. Well, did you feel ready? Well, I felt ready in terms of technology. I'd, I'd worked in a lot of different parts of the business. Um, but I don't think a CEO is ever really ready until they yeah. really feel that weight on their shoulders mm-hmm. of, yeah. um, of the success or potentially mm-hmm. the failure yeah. and, and the weight of those employees. You want, you, know, you want those employees to be super successful, to grow, to, to, to really feel like, boy, at this company, I'm becoming hugely marketable. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. I, my view has always been if I, can, if, if I can get that employee to feel like, man, I am gaining – great marketability by being in this role and being in this company. And if I pay them fairly, they'll probably stay. Yeah. Even though they're really marketable, they'll yeah. probably stay. Yeah. 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 I, I remember uh, when I first reached a certain scale in my business, and I joined a, a group of CEOs and I was mm-hmm. really nervous going into it the first time thinking that I was, I was the only one who was insecure and didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I realized like in the first meeting that they all were just as insecure and in a, mm-hmm. in, 
you know, as I was. Yeah, it, and it's a tough gig, and you, you know, you you wonder, you do a lot of second guessing. So mm-hmm. while you're relying on, in terms of decision making, you're relying on really anybody that that um, that you can collaborate with in the company to make that right decision. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day. You know, you're you're doing a lot of second guessing. Should yeah. we do that the right way? Should we have done that differently? Um, it's you know, it's that's the tough part of it. Yeah. Do you ever wonder whether, you know, sort of where on that continuum of collaborative decision making versus I'm the CEO, I got to make decisions? Did you ever like? How did you figure out where you wanted to be on that continuum? Well, I really like to uh, to involve as many people as possible. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be practical about it. Yeah. You can't include the whole company in right. every conversation and every decision. But I like to include a lot of people, get their perspectives, understand how they think about it. And at the end of the day, sometimes it is a trade-off between one or the other, and yeah. you have to make the decision. Yeah. You have to make that call. So relying on people within the company, also having a, a great board that has insights, experiences, perspective that they can offer up as well, yeah. super important to yeah. big decisions. I heard uh, in an interview you did with uh, uh, Rocky Mountain PBS that you had had some leadership training that you think was helpful. What did you, did you have some leadership training? You're looking funny uh, Yeah, now. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, very, very early on in my career. And I guess I would consider, you know, I, I did get a master's in, in business administration mm-hmm. along the way, did a weekend program there. And I think um, got through that a lot of inter- insights as well, not only from the the professors, but also from, from my colleagues that yeah. were also in the program. Um, but early on leadership training was around teamwork and collaboration, which I think carried, carried with me all the way through my career. But some of that also was back to, you really need to listen more than you talk. Mm-hmm. And I, and mm-hmm. that's something I carried with me through my whole career. And I think it's really important for a CEO to listen, actually listen mm-hmm. before he or she talks. Yeah. Do you do that at home? Um, not as much. <laughs> my, but my wife, my wife has said to me, you know, you can provide direction at the office. You can't provide direction yeah, yeah, at yeah. home. It's different. Yeah. <laughs> um, was stepping into your role as CEO at ShareWell different? I mean, you know, you're walking into an ongoing entity mm-hmm. versus sort of growing into that role at Travelocity or other places. So stepping in different? Yeah, it's a lot different. Um, and I guess I would say, while you bring the fundamentals of business into any business that you go into, so yeah. understanding the fundamentals of business and how they work or should work, um, and that can be a foundation for you as you as you work within any business. The difference is that as I grew up in a company and then became its CEO, right. um, I knew everybody. Um, I you know I started by writing code there. And so I yeah, written, you were a software written, engineer. Yeah, I was a software engineer, so I wrote a lot of the code. I knew the ins and outs of that company by the time I got to the got to the top of it. And I think the most important aspect of it was that I believe I had the trust um, of the team, of the larger team, and I had credibility with them, I think, as well. When you come into a new place, mm-hmm. you have to establish that trust and credibility over time. So, um, you know, They'll wait and watch and see how things go. And if things seem to be headed in the right direction, okay, this guy may be okay. Mm. And uh, you you really have to build that trust um, over a period of time. And uh, and that comes through what types of decisions are you making? Who are you involving in the decisions? Is it collaborative? Uh, and I think um, hopefully I'm nine months in. Hopefully I've gained um, you know a little bit more trust and yeah, credibility than yeah. I had on day one. Yeah, uh, and I'm just going to keep trying to build on that over time as as I work with the uh, with the team. 
Well, and as you came in, everybody there knows that, you know, you're, you're sort of picked by the board, right? That there's a large ownership, ownership stake by this private equity firm, Colbert, uh, Colbert, Kravis, Roberts, KKR. We right. know. So, mm-hmm. so do they say, oh, he's their guy. Does his, do his interests as CEO align with our personal interests or right. is he more aligned with our, the investment firm? Yeah, it'd be a natural thing for them to wonder about. Yeah. And I think that's, again, another thing that over time through through regular communications, through all hands types of meetings, um, allowing people to, you know, keeping your door open so that anytime it is open, I want you to come in and talk to me. Tell me what your concerns are. Um, but being very open to the feedback they provide and actually taking action on the feedback as well. Uh, when they begin, when the team begins to see those types of things, they say, okay, well, mm-hmm. it isn't, it isn't just about what the board wants. Um, and certainly that's super important, yeah. but it is about those things I talked about earlier, which is a compelling and rewarding work, work environment, yeah. Yeah. career growth, um, learning, uh, those are important. And we can see with the CEO that he's interested in those things for us as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you're in a competitive space, right? Um, you're not the only player. I looked online and other competitors of yours also are well-liked by their customers. Sure. So there's this, there's a land grab going on. Everybody wants to get big fast. That's mm-hmm. why companies are investing in you. Right. Um, how do you manage the notion of growing fast, taking market share against profitability? Well, we, um, we're certainly paying very close attention to our bottom line. Um, on the other hand, um, the mandate uh, from the board has been growth. So what we're spending a lot of our time on is how do you grow and how do you scale that business and how do you continue to serve customers in the way that they have been used to historically? So as you add new customers at a much faster clip, um, you're, you're adding more people to make sure yeah. that you're serving them well. Um, you're also automating processes that may have been manual historically. Mm-hmm. So let's make make ourselves more efficient as we yeah. as we manage those customers. Um, and you you know you absolutely have to make sure that you maintain a human touch yeah. and that they can feel that if they need help, you're going to provide it. And in fact, that you're reaching out proactively to to ensure that that they're comfortable with how how the software is working for them that they're getting good time to value, yeah. all those types of things. Well, and that was actually, it led into my next question, which is this balance as you grow between the human connection and the need to automate, the need to keep processes highly efficient and so forth. How are you thinking about that with your team? Well, I really think about it as where where are we with a human touch adding value versus mm-hmm. versus yeah, yeah, not? Yeah. So if you add, add value with a human touch, well- mm-hmm. Great. Let's let's keep that human touch. If you're not adding value there, let's automate it. Well, that's a great lens. Does that work yeah. pretty consistently? I think so. And I, you know, it can be. And I've talked with a team about this. It can be a little bit uncomfortable because I used to, you know, I as an employee in a certain area, I used to be the human touch on this particular process. Now that's getting automated. What does that mean for me? Yeah. And I want to ensure that our employees feel comfortable that even if we automate something that they used to do manually, historically, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to find other opportunities for them to do things in other yeah. areas yeah. and use that skill set and even enhance the skill sets they have and, and grow um, as an individual and as an employee. Yeah. So here's the tension that I deal with as a consumer. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm probably older than your average user of, of uh, Sherwell's software. Maybe, maybe but, not. But as... The tension I'm feeling is that companies seem to be, and I'm not speaking to share well, I'm speaking in general, seem to be 
forcing automation as a way to reduce costs. And so the question is, I, I appreciate added automation as a consumer if it makes my life better. If it's making the company's life better and my life worse, then I'm resentful. Yeah. So how do you strike that balance? Well, so I think, and and you're absolutely right. A couple of years ago, if you asked um, if you asked CIOs what their biggest focus was, it was cost reduction. Mm-hmm. So right, and that cannot feel so good for an employee of a company because it may not make their life better. However, as as you have CIOs now um, additionally tasked with business outcomes outside their area, like the example I gave you of take two weeks of onboarding process and turn it into four, four hours, hours yeah. you're finding that that automation is actually improving the life of an employee, and they they feel it. And in fact, um, the employee experience has, has moved into kind of the number one slot in terms of really? what CIOs wow. are looking to do here. Um, over the over the next handful of years, and that um, you know it's often called digital transformation, um, and that's kind of the big buzzword that's applied to what they're doing. But mm-hmm. it's all about how do we make employee experiences better? How do we make customer experiences better using using technology? Well, wow, I hope some of the uh, the B two C companies that are using these uh, forced uh, uh, what do you call them forced Flow, service flows. I hope they figure that out differently. <laughs> uh, we'll see. So um, I'm going to move to sort of our, our winding down phase. I got okay. a couple questions that are um, that are off off uh, off the business side a little bit. So how do you bring like your personal values, who you are as a person, whether it's an ex swimmer or a Family Guy or whatever? How do you bring those to work? Well, um, actually, it's it's interesting. One of the key reasons that I decided to come to Sherwell was that I felt that my principles and values were really well lined up with the founders. So the four, we talk about them as the four H's in the company. So it's heart, hunger, humility, and honesty. And um, I feel like those really closely align with how I view life. And so as you think about heart, I, you know, I want to hire super talented people, but I want them to be good people at their core. And that's super important to me. Um, as you think about hunger, I want people to hunger in terms of their personal growth within the company, uh, but also let's be competitive, let's win. And I think that's super important. Humility, you know, I've never really had much time for hubris. And so I think we need to be humble in how we serve our customers, how we serve one another within the company. Um, that's super important. And then honesty gets at just integrity, which I think is really the bedrock of of how we ought to think about things. You have to have integrity integrity in everything you do, how you serve, how you serve employees, yeah. how you serve your customers. Um, and you know so that and that then leads into, I suppose, a servant leader um, type of type of approach, which is that you know we're here, I'm here for the team, not the other way around. And I need to be helping them get to the decisions faster if they need my help yeah. with them. And if they don't, let them run. Yeah. And um, so those are a core part of how I think about how we should be doing business um, within Sherwell. And certainly, again, those are philosophies that had been employed before I got there. Can you think, I'm putting you on the spot here, can you think of an example where you had in the last, well, since you've been at Sherwell the last nine months, where you've had to use one of these values, heart, hunger, humility, and honesty, where you've had to use one of those to make a tough call? Well, I mean, I think the... I mean, the, I'm looking for something specific here. Yeah, I, I think um, I think one of the things that has been maybe a, has shaken things up a little bit is that I really have felt like we had to shake up our approach to our partners. So 
I didn't feel like we were committing enough to the partners. And when I talk about partners, they're typically folks that are companies that are out there implementing our technology on behalf of, uh, behalf of companies, on behalf of us. So we have our own professional services organization, but we have a lot of professional services offered by those companies. I didn't think we'd committed um, uh, to them as much as we should. So we've recommitted to them, and we've asked them to be recommitted to us. Those can be hard discussions after, say, a period of 10 years because um, they're used to doing business a certain way. We are too. How do we, you know, we need to shake things up. And so that, that's that been new muscle, I guess, that we've had to build. And, you know, it's been, um, you know, it's been tough on tough on certain people, either within our organization or even with our partners. And yeah. that's a, that was, a I think, a significant decision. Um, and we're also just, we're wanting to go up market in terms of the partners that we're working with. And so um, AWSs and HCLs of the world. And that, those are important changes that, um, required a lot of thinking and decision making, and can we really make this work well? Mm, cool. And I think we can. Uh, keeping focused on the theme of uh, this Proco 360 podcast, which is world class entrepreneurs who choose Colorado. Why has Sharewell chosen Colorado? Why have you chosen Colorado? Well, I, I um, and and Sharewell chose Colorado well before I got here, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think as I listen to the founders, I think it's. They, they have viewed this as a great place to live and work. And uh, I think that's certainly, as you talk to other companies, this is a great place to live and work. The other thing, talent, you, you know, we have um, more and more increasing influx of talent coming from other parts around the country saying, wow, Colorado, hmm. this, is a, this is a place to be, great place to live, great place to work. Um, it's business friendly. And so you know, I, it's natural for me to look at it and say, Okay, this is a this is going to be a great place to be. Yeah, is that did that play into into your decision to take this job? Certainly, uh, you know, if it had been, um, well, I probably shouldn't you make shouldn't, statements yeah, yeah, around yeah, other, yeah, other, yeah, other other parts places, of the country. Yeah. I don't want to offend anybody, mm-hmm. but um, so uh, no, it 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 it, uh, it really played into the decision. Cool. I think it's a good place to wrap up. Okay. Well, thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Sam Gilliland of ShareWell Software. Um, again, one last time, Sam, thanks for being here. It's been it's been fun. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, and listeners, thanks for joining me on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to sponsors, MicroStar Cake, Logistics, Community Banks of Colorado, Kinsley Meetings, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. Final thanks to Mike, my engineer here at Third and James Studios. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado.